couple months ago, an artist called Beeple sold a digital work of art for $69 million. You might remember, we did an episode on it. The technology behind the sale was something called an NFT, or a non-fungible token. And NFTs seem to be everywhere these days. The NBA is selling digital versions of basketball highlights. These highlight moments, these top shot moments from your favorite NBA players have been turned into non-fungible tokens. Yesterday, eBay, the online marketplace, announced it was allowing sales of NFTs on its site. NFTs have become so popular, Saturday Night Live did a sketch on them. Non-fungible means that it's unique. There can only be one like you and me. NFTs are insane. insane. Built on a blockchain. In the first quarter of this year alone, there were more than $2 billion worth of transactions in these digital items. Everything from pixelated cats and professional basketball highlights to music videos and tweets. So, where did NFTs come from? And why are they all the rage? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Wednesday, May 12th. Coming up on the show, why NFTs have taken off and whether they'll last. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. The idea for NFTs, or non-fungible tokens, comes from the world of cryptocurrencies. About a decade ago, developers were exploring other ways to use the crypto technology called blockchain beyond currency. Our colleague Caitlin Ostroff covers crypto, and she says one of the early uses for NFTs was the creation of something called CryptoPunks. CryptoPunks was from two developers in 2017, and they were these computer-generated works of very pixelated art, like zombies and humans and, like, all of these other, like, kind of odd-looking pixelated small images. And attached to each of these pixelated images was a unique digital certificate, the NFT, that could prove the image's authenticity and ownership, sort of like a deed for your car. Basically, the whole idea around all of them is that you can prove ownership of a digital asset. And how does blockchain ensure ownership? If you think of an Excel spreadsheet, you know, you're going to have thousands and millions of cells on there, and each one of them can hold information. And the blockchain works basically the same way. And all you're doing is when you create an NFT, you are taking the information behind it, that metadata, and you are just inserting it into one of those cells. One reason information on this massive digital spreadsheet is secure is it's an open book. Anyone who wants to check the ledger can. And there are thousands of people who are tasked with verifying and maintaining 
all the transactions in the blockchain. That process makes sure there aren't any discrepancies. There's trust in the system because you know that there's a bunch of independent people who are verifying the network. And there are people actually logging in and just looking at the spreadsheet. Yes, they are verifying transactions and they are collecting digital currency for their efforts. And just to be clear, there are also supercomputers doing some of this verifying and monitoring work. So the blockchain is the cornerstone of NFTs. When you buy an NFT of, say, a pixelated CryptoPunk zombie, you're buying that digital file and a certificate of ownership of the file that is stored in the blockchain. You own a digital file, and then you own the fact that that digital file has its information secured in this, like, massive spreadsheet. And that is what gives the digital file that you bought, that's what gives it value. Because it then has its information steadily on one place. It says that you own it, and that's why that file has value. At first, NFTs were pretty niche. You need to be sort of tech-savvy to use them. But some companies started thinking of ways to make NFTs more popular and mainstream. Companies like Dapper Labs, a Vancouver startup. Dapper Labs wanted to create something. They wanted to create something where people could say, I own this item, and they could trade it and use it that way. And when they originally started looking at this, they thought, what if we could take houses and properties and, like, make that the thing that's, like, put in this database and, like, much more easily traded. But Dapper Labs quickly realized that digital property deeds were going to be a headache. And they sat there and they thought about that. And they went, you know, we'll have to work with governments. There's property appraisers. There's, like, all of these people who are in the middle, and that's going to be really difficult. So they came up with a new plan. What can we do instead? And, like all other things on the internet, they were like, what goes viral first? Cats. People love internet cats. Dapper Labs created a kind of video game called CryptoKitties. This game let players create collectible digital cats that were certified NFTs. And literally, you could breed digital cats. You could pair them together and create another NFT that was, um, you know, these cats breeding. I don't understand. What do you mean breeding cats? You're like putting two cats together within this game and like just trying to breed them and create another. And you can see like who the parents were, what traits that they inherited. And it's a game, like it really is meant to be a game, but you can trade all of these crypto kitties and you can figure out like, oh, this one has rainbow fur. It's going to be rarer than one that's purple. And so, You're creating that scarcity, and people bought and sold cats based off of it. And did it take off? It actually did. I mean, like, they were right to bet on digital cats because digital cats was a great bet, apparently. They got a lot of coverage from media organizations. They had a lot of people who never heard of NFTs before for whom this was their first entrance into it. And it set the course for other projects to take off. Within two weeks, an NFT crypto kitty had received a bid for more than $100,000. But Dapper Labs had bigger plans than cats. That's after the break.
This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Canva. It's time to ditch your old presentation programs at work and try Canva presentations instead. It'll help you create stunning slides in no time. No design experience needed. Just start with one of the designer-made templates or generate something in seconds with AI. Then polish it up and get ready to wow your audience. It's that easy. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. Tap the banner to learn more. After the success of CryptoKitties, Dapper Labs saw the potential of NFTs and connected with the NBA. They started talking with the NBA about what if we took all of the NBA content from basketball games, people's favorite moments, and made those into kind of like trading cards videos that people could buy and sell. I can't imagine that conversation. Like going to the NBA and, you know, talking about blockchain. Yeah, I have to imagine that it was a learning process for them, as it has been for the rest of us, just to consider why would people be interested in owning these things when they could just go on like NBA.com or YouTube and play back. But the NBA was on board. And in July 2019, they launched a marketplace for fans to buy and sell short video highlights from past NBA games. Just like with CryptoKitties and CryptoPunks, ownership would be verified on the blockchain. They called it NBA Top Shot. At first, it didn't take off. But earlier this year, activity on the site started to climb. People began paying tens of thousands of dollars for NFTs of specific highlights. In February, a video of a LeBron James dunk sold for more than $200,000. And Caitlin says the sports world was a natural place for NFT collectibles to reach new heights. People collect baseball cards. Kids lean over the railing at games to catch a ball, a fly ball. People want those mementos and those collectibles. And this is just another way of merchandising that. I think what what's like hard to wrap your head around is this idea of owning digital assets. Like, who cares who owns this GIF, right? Or GIF. Yeah. But if you think about it in terms of collectibles, like, you can buy a guitar or you can buy Jimi Hendrix's guitar. And one is a lot more valuable than the other, but they're both still just guitars. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's the same issues that you always have with collectibles is like, why would anyone pay like X amount of money for any of these things? And I mean, for a lot of people, it is just the fact that like, you really like Jimi Hendrix or like, you really like this digital painting that you came across and you just want to own it. Where do things stand with NFTs now? So as a starting point, if you were to think about like where NFTs started and where they are today, You know, I was talking to one source who tried gifting an NFT in 2018 to a colleague as part of, like, a Christmas gift. 
And the colleague was like, mm, no, I'd rather just have 20 bucks instead. Because he saw this CryptoPunk, this like pixelated human with a purple cap. And he was just like, well, what on earth is this worth? I'd rather have the 20 bucks. And it's gone from that to someone paying $46,000 in February for that same CryptoPunk. And so like this market has just gone from near obscurity to $2 billion worth of activity in the first three months of the year. And it's just completely ballooned faster than anyone else thought that it would. And we're starting to see that abate a little bit now, but there's still a lot of people who are now very interested in this. Is there an NFT bubble right now? Everyone who's been in this space for like ages that I've talked to, and when I say ages, I mean like four years, which in this space is a long time. They're all looking at this and they're like, this is absolutely a bubble because you have high prices chasing high prices and people just thinking that the next person will always pay more. It's speculation, it's price chasing, and it's hoping that things keep going in a straight line. And as anyone who studies any part of financial history can tell you, like, there's always a crash. But even if there is a crash, the NFT technology could stick around. People are trying to figure out, is this something that winds up working its way into the physical world? Taking things that really have been in the physical world, bank documents, mortgage deeds, patents, other types of things, and really just like ingraining them onto the internet, onto this technology. I mean, people have started selling patents in recent days on it. There's some talk of, could you put stocks and bonds and other types of traditional financial assets on blockchain, people taking NFTs and swapping them for collateralized loans. Like you give someone your digital painting and they give you like $50,000. It could be the thing that's underlying, you know, how you sell your house to someone else one day. That's probably very, very far off. But that's some of the ways that people are thinking about this. So like one of the initial ideas for NFTs was housing deeds. Then it became cats. And now we're going back to something serious again? Yeah. And that's the way that this space has sometimes worked. Ideas come and go, and some ideas are too ahead of their time, and people need time and space to ease into them. And five, ten years later, you find the same old ideas coming back into circulation. We're really in a nascent market, and so we haven't quite seen it come to whatever it could be yet. That's all for today, Wednesday, May 12th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.